What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked walkways of San Quentin death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me. It was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. I'll tell you why. Look, I'm not a Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Gaguero. Today we have a really interesting episode about the Happy Face Killer. It's a weirdo serial killer guy, and we're going to get into the details of that case. First, we have a listener-submitted question, and this is from Monica in Santa Monica, California. And she says, Bill... I'm just curious. I myself am taken, but what is your marital status? Are you single? Are you playing the field? Hmm. Thoughts, Bill. That's a very personal question. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, yeah, with neither of I. Thanks, for, man, for blindsiding me with that one. Uh, <laughs> look, I am not one of those guys who's looking for a girl, I am not a serial killer, and uh, so... <laughs> Look, I'm a little embarrassed just being asked that question because it's never been asked before. But Oh, it sounds uh, like she's a fan of yours, I'll tell you that much. Oh, man. Well, look, it's always nice to be liked. But, um, yeah, so the answer to the question is, um, you know, I, I was in a, in a, in a long-term relationship, and, and now I'm not. I've been on my own for, you know, a few years now. So I guess the short end of the, <laughs> the question is, Yes, I am single, but I don't play the field. I really basically am the hardest working guy in prison, and that's basically what I do. Hold on one second, please. What's going on here? I, I guess the real question should be, because now I'm curious, you know, well, I'm sure there's listeners out there, Matt, that are curious about Matt Ralston, you know, good-looking guy. Like, what's your, what's your status? Oh, I have a girlfriend. She waits till I record to fix the water heater. Uh, so... <laughs> That's what's going on right now. Is she carrying a 40-inch bat? <laughs> yeah, I am in a precarious recording position. Uh, make sure and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Keep those questions coming. We do appreciate it. And check out our Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash Diaries, where you'll get uh, all kinds of bonus content that's not otherwise available. And the Facebook and Instagram pages are Facebook dot com instagram.com slash death row diaries or the handle whatever the kids call it i don't know um so this keith jesperson guy <laughs> is uh huh this is I, I guess what stood out to me about this case is this guy got lucky because he didn't get caught for a long time because two crazy people confessed to a murder that he was responsible for um, and it really just made me think that there's a lot of these guys out there because I just feel like 
he would have gotten away with it. And that's even, you know, in conjunction with the fact that he was taunting the authorities. I don't know. That's why I found it scary, but. Yeah. I mean, from, from a psychological point and point of view and from just listening to what this guy wrote and what he wanted to listen, I, I, I read it. This guy has this, Kicking him, that he has to take credit for what he did. He wants people to know who he is. It took him a while to really kind of start coming out and confessing, but this guy is unstable. I mean, this is just to say the least. Um, that he became a serial killer, you know, kind of just falls in place with what I said that these guys are born this way. But yeah, this guy has some really, you know, unresolved issues. And that's what I kept thinking when I kept reading about this guy. So I think we should really talk about, you know, his childhood and how he grew up and, 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 his, and his stature. This guy is like six foot eight. This guy is a behemoth of a guy. Yeah. I, I, same with Edmund Kemper. I was like, if couldn't he have played football? I know, like, every giant person isn't athletically gifted, but you, you don't even really have to be, you know, like half of all seven foot tall American men of, you know, young adult age play professional basketball. They're not all good at it. It's just that they're tall. I don't know. I mean, the guy couldn't have been a offensive lineman. I don't know. Something. Yeah, you would think so. But it also, you know, it depends on your athleticism. You, you can be six, eight all day long and weigh 350 pounds if you can't move. Uh, well, you got a problem. These NFL players are, Six eight, three hundred and forty pounds, but they move like they're one hundred and sixty pounds. So maybe this guy didn't have it. But I mean, this guy is just—he got I me. Mean, if you think about a trucker and what they should look like, this guy is a picture. He just he jumps out of an eighteen-wheeler, and he's six eight. I mean, how do you even deal with that? And I imagine how scary it is for one of these sex workers to get in his truck and realize how big this guy is. Right. When you see a person that size, I mean, I'm six, four, but I'm, I'm, you know, thin. I'm not, uh, he, he's like kind of an ogre and I don't think I really intimidate people, but I have been told to sit down because if you're like standing over someone who's smaller than you, it makes them very uncomfortable. Um, so I guess you could use that to, <laughs> to your advantage if you wanted to. So this guy's a trucker, of course, and he's got that creepy i'm assuming one of those cabs the little cabin thing where he can you know do whatever he wants yeah an overnight an overnight i actually saw a reddit person who was talking about starting a trucking company and they would transition people from being homeless by uh, allowing them to live in the overnight uh, while they worked as a trucker and, and then they would transition out of homelessness. My thought, unfortunately, was, okay, good luck turning uh, a piece of valuable equipment over to a homeless person. But Yeah, no, I mean, I can see where that would leave a bad trail all that time on the road, thinking and thinking and thinking. Some homeless people will suffer from mental health issues. It might not turn out to be, we could be breeding serial killers, right? <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a spike. So what was his background? What was his uh, early life like? I know he got bullied a lot, but I feel like that can be an excuse that these guys use also sometimes. Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. He was born April 6, 1955, and 
you know, there's not a whole lot about what abusive treatment he received, but his father was abusive, um, and which, again, according to this guy, he was a loner because kids had siblings teased him. They, they even called him an ogre or ogre because he was so big. Now, look, every, every person listening to this podcast has probably been teased in their life unless they probably, if they looked like Brad Pitt when they were seven, okay? Every one of us has been teased for something. We don't turn into serial killers. This guy... He said he's being teased, but at the age of five, because as he says, he was a loner, and I think he was a loner because he had something going on in his head that he couldn't explain, he couldn't really deal with, he didn't have the tools as a young boy to deal with them. But at the age of five, he is actually torturing animals already. He's getting birds, he graduates to cats, then dogs, and he beats them with these bats until they're unconscious, and he strangles them to death. Now, we've heard this so many different times from serial killers or from people that knew them. This doesn't seem to be something that most people do. I don't think you did it, man. I'm sure I'm willing to bet that 99% of the people that are listening have never done this before. But these serial killers seem to be going through this period of adjustment or they're learning how to facilitate those tools that they have in their mind. And this is how they start learning who they are. Yeah. So he's from British Columbia, kind of moves to Eastern Washington and bounces around a lot like a, like a loser would do uh, with his family. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. With his family. And actually his daughter, who we'll talk about later, remembers him stringing cats up uh, on like a clothesline and, and um, killing them. Like, I guess not trying to hide it or... or you know, I, I love cats, well, yeah. and so that's it's very he disturbing. He became very comfortable with who he was, and he didn't mind demonstrating. But another thing you can look at, that it's possible, and I don't know this for sure, that he was doing that in order to get a little bit of a tick off of it. We need to, like, satisfy the tick a bit. You know, some of these guys kill very often because they're propelled to do it. They have to do it. It's, it's something inside them. Well, it seems that as an adult, he was already still killing cats in front of his family. And it kind of goes to show that psychology of who he is. He kills, he writes newspapers, the attention. Maybe he was getting attention of his family satisfying that tick a little bit. Let me call back. So, yeah, I think a lot of loser-type guys like this actually um, produce families because they can't start a cult. And... You know, children are like a captive audience, right? I mean, they have to live with you and watch what you're doing and listen to you. It almost seems like that's what he was doing here. Um, it's 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 just such a weird situation, like that people would kind of have to put up with that. And I think he exerted some psychological control over his wife. I'm still not really giving her a pass. I don't really get how you see that happen and pop out another kid, but whatever. You know, I'm sure it probably caught her off guard as well, because I'm, I'm sure he didn't tell his wife and his close friends who he really was. I mean, he was demonstrating a bit of kind of a peekaboo show. He was showing him a little bit in the windows of the house, but he wasn't looking on the inside, so they didn't know who he was. But we have to look at him also as a child of... At the age... 
of 10, he tries, he attempts to kill a, a boy by the name of Martin by strangling him. Here, here we are again. He's using that technique he likes to use, which is to strangle, until you know his, his father pulls him off of him. And then it's like he doesn't forget. He's in his head. He has to try again. And then a year later, he attempts to drown, drown the same boy in a swimming pool. And, you know, he's, a lifeguard pulls him off of him. And he claims that the boy tried to drown him first in a lake prior to this. Look, I have a hard time believing that. Ten year old, when I was 10 years old, I was playing with G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. I wasn't thinking about drowning puppies or killing my neighbor or strangling my a boy that was 10 years old. So I don't see this as anything other than what I've been proclaiming, that these guys are born this way and already at a very early age, he's showing this side of him and he's actually, he's compelled to do it. So therefore he's practicing his craft and almost like he's feeling through a dark room to figure out who he is. That irritates me, that story, because I had, when I was a kid, there was a local Catholic school where I guess some of the more established members of the community sent their kids. And I was looked at as a bad influence, I think, because I wasn't Catholic. But, uh, you know, they, they were very judgmental towards me, the parents. And I didn't try and kill anyone. Could you imagine if you had a kid and you heard that his neighborhood buddy guy tried to kill him? Wouldn't you just be irate? I feel like my point is yeah, this guy, like, he just slipped through the cracks for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it happens, but what can we do? I mean, as, as people we, in the community, we see this happen, and, of course, everybody's appalled by it. And then once it, it, a week passes, you don't think about it. Like, when you do see him, you say, oh, that's the kid that, that tried to kill somebody. But you don't, I mean, what can you really do? Can you grab the kid and then, immediately throw him in a prison cell, lock him up for life, because we don't know what he's going to turn out to be like. We know in those days that this could be the psychological, I mean, the psychological, uh, I guess, searching in the dark for who you are. No one knew this. And even today, uh, some of the experts, so-called experts, who talk about this, don't really analyze their childhood behaviors of these, so these serial killers. What, they're, what they say is, it's like a, I don't know, all a size fits all category. Oh yeah, see, you know, he was abused as a child, he tortured animals and lit fires, so it's obvious to see he was a serial, he's gonna become a serial killer, that's why. He, but they're not looking at the, the bigger picture, which is, okay, he did those actions, let's look at his, psych, his psychological makeup as to why he was propelled to do these things. Normal people don't do this. So the problem happened prior to this. Okay, he starts at five years old, torturing animals, dissecting them. Okay, so what could have happened between the age of one and five that he remembers so much that he acts out at the age of five? And there's nothing in the book that, that explains this. So therefore, we go back to my theory. It must be born in them. They're wired differently. And at a very early age, they show this. Yeah. So is there a trigger or something or what, at what point does he start escalating his behavior and, uh, you know, moving on to being a serial killer? Well, that's an interesting question. Okay. So it's no different than when he's five years old, he's torturing animals and killing them. 
he just gets older and killing animals seems like it doesn't satisfy whatever hunger they have in them. And they graduate to bigger things. It's like a guy who begins to hunt, let's say, rabbits. And when he turns 35 years old, he's hunting elephants or water buffalo or deer. Did the game become bigger because it's more of a challenge? For these guys, and I don't know exactly, I've never spoken to the happy face killer, but it seems to be nothing different than when he was five years old. He is exercising that kick inside of him, that modem that has to do what it does. You've seen people that are born at a very early age, they're great at mathematics. Or a child that's seven years old is already running at a very high level. And people say, well, he was born to run. I want you guys to think of this the same way. Why was he torturing animals? He was born to kill. That's how he's, they're wired that way. So when he turns, you know, he gets, by the way, he gets married at a very early age. He's 20 years old. He gets married to Rose Huckle. And they have three kids, two girls and one boy together. And he seems to be a pretty normal guy. He drives a truck. He, he does things. He did. But I suspect that he's doing things already. Because you don't start at five years old, murder, torturing animals, at 10 you're trying to kill kids, and then suddenly you just stop and you outgrow it. That doesn't happen, and it did not happen in this case. He becomes, becomes a truck driver, and actually he becomes or tries to become a mounted police officer. And this is not really known about this guy, but he does. He tries, he enlists, he goes to the tests, he goes through all the, the recruiting process, and then he has an injury, he cannot become a mounted police. Now, can you imagine what would have happened if this guy becomes a mounted police officer? Uh, I think I've run into a few of those cops. Yeah, it's not great. What do you... <laughs> You've run into a couple of serial killers, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that he got the trucking job mm, as a calculated choice to facilitate his need to kill or do you think he he got the job and then he realized oh man this is pretty convenient well you know that's a really good question and of course i don't know his motivations but it seems to figure logically that he came across something somewhere and he and someone told him or he heard that look it's, it pays good you're on the road it fits the profile of a guy who likes to think on his own. He likes to be, you know, by himself. And along the way, it clicked somewhere where he saw possibly a girl get into a truck. And he asked, what's going on there? Oh, she's a, she's a sex worker. And that little bulb went off in his head. Huh. The, the, the victims come to me. I don't have to go looking for them. They come to me. What? better recipe for disaster than that. I think that's how it really happened. And remember, by this time, by uh, the 1990s, well, 1990, his wife has left him. She suspected he was cheating on her, and she left him. She took the kids while he was out on the road, and she disappeared. Yeah, and maybe she got a sense he was doing something more creepy than cheating but so what's his mo these are truck stop prostitutes who look i don't want to be politically incorrect most prostitutes have serious problems and i think these ones as a subset even more and so when they go missing 
you know, someone probably doesn't notice right away. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. We've talked about this before, and, and law enforcement has confirmed this that over the years, especially 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, sex workers are treated, they are treated different by law enforcement as victims. When the victim is a sex worker or a gang member, usually law enforcement roll their eyes and say, ah, oh, you know, she did, no one did anything to her, she just has fallen off the face of the earth because she's doing what she does. Like most drug addicts and gang members, they live that lifestyle, they deserve it, they kind of like brush them off. They don't really investigate them too tough. But you have to understand that these women work truck stops, they work the streets. And when they disappear, not a whole lot of people take notice. And if they do, they don't report it. And if they do, it's sometime later because she could have picked up and left. No one really knows. And remember, we have stretches of highway in Washington the Canadian border, and this guy is traveling. It's not like he's in one state. This guy travels through many different states where it's easy to hide people that you've, you know, done some. Washington, you know, Canada, he's driving around Florida, he's in Wyoming, he's in all these different states that it's very easy to drop somebody out. Look at the look at the, the trajectory of his, of his uh, trucking. California, Florida, Nebraska, Oregon, Washington, Canada, Wyoming. Those are huge sections of land where you could disappear and no one would know where the hell you're at. Yeah, I wonder if anyone ever brought it to the attention of law enforcement or brought this up. A, it's your job to catch murderers and, you know, take care of a case that involves a murder, regardless of who the person is. But even if you hold the opinion that prostitutes don't matter. I guarantee you, I have been to the same truck stops that this guy has. You know, I've been on road trips, and and if, if he's killing them, you know, the whole public is at risk. Yeah, well, we don't know what this guy's thinking. You know, sure, his victims could turn into six-foot-tall guys that are you know, fairly good-looking, and Matt Ralston is on the dish, right? So anybody is a potential victim, but of course, with these serial killers, they have a certain type. And, and, and so some do, some don't. But this guy seems to have a certain type. And it may be convenience. They basically just get in his truck and drive away without a problem. Um, but there seems to be a trigger with him. And that trigger has to do with sometimes with fees. The women say they're going to charge him a certain amount of money. And they change it on him because they may think he's dumb. He, he doesn't look like the sharpest guy in the world. And that, that like, make something inside of him erupt. Like they've changed the price, they've changed the circumstance on him, and he'll kill them. But prior to his first killing, which is this young woman named Tanya Bennett, she disappears on January 21st, 1990, and according to him, they met at a bar, not at a truck stop, and they get into an argument in their hotel room, he just decides to strangle her. So, when I think this is an excuse. I think that the happy face killer, when he's caught, he begins to tell these stories of how, well, she said it was going to be so much, and then when we got through sex, she changed the price and she tried to steal from me, so I killed her. This is an excuse. This is him justifying what he did somehow, so it, it looks like he's less of a bad guy. This is absolutely not true, and I'm willing to bet you, you know, whatever you want, that prior to 1990, this you know, Keith Hunter Jefferson, Jesperson, I'm willing to bet you that he killed way before 1990. 
and just no one knew about it. To answer your question, I know you're thinking, well, because you mentioned police officers not really doing their job for this, they didn't know anybody's gone. When someone takes a body and they don't find it, how do they know they're dead? And they call back. Amen. Yeah, and so if you want to go through the the whole history of what he was doing, I would just like to point out that he got away with this for quite a long time, and I think he was doing it a lot. Yeah, no, yeah. The, the, the women we know really is because he wanted us to know. And, and in the previous episodes where we talked about this uber serial killer that I know is out there now, he doesn't want to get caught. Unlike Jesperson, who he likes the attention. I mean, he is a classic, what we know to be the classic serial killer, the 70s, 60s, 80s, 90s. I mean, they like the attention. They want the, the media to know it's them. They they write letters to the media, like a DK, a DK guy. It, it's just, it's like almost something they can't help them, so they want to be known for what they do. And as I said before, with BTK and, and these guys, it's, he had given them all the pieces to the puzzle so they knew what this guy did, what he, why he did it, and all these things, because he wrote extensive letters. The only thing missing was a face to the killer, and that was like the ultimate high for them. And they would know that they're going to prison or death row, or whatever they're going into this, but they still needed to put a face to the work. It's like an artist who does a work He's going to sign the piece somewhere. You may not know where it's at, but he's going to sign it. Because the ultimate thing is he wants recognition for what he's done. It's the same thing with these serial killers. They want to be recognized. At least that was the, the, the serial killer of before. The serial killer that exists now that we've seen declines in serial killer killings is because he's no longer driven by the need for people to know who he is. And this is a pretty good example of a roadmap of what not to do. Yeah, so much so that these two people, I guess alcoholic is the the overwhelming uh, identifying trait here. They confess to her murder because they read about it in the paper and they, they looked at the details in the paper and you know pretended that they didn't have that knowledge from the newspaper and that this they falsely confessed they conned the law enforcement community into believing that they had killed this woman uh bill have you ever like in prison heard of this happening like so are there are there serial killers this got me thinking are there serial killers who do it only for the attention and don't even get any gratification out of it. Because that's like tangentially what I think these people were doing. And I was like, well, if you, if you want the attention for killing someone, why didn't you just kill someone? I mean, I'm glad they didn't, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, look, obviously you're right. on what you're saying, but it's a dual, uh, a double-edged sword. So, serial killers have to kill. That, that's what they do. That's what they're programmed to do, and they have to do it. And you can't stop them. If you put them at, at age 90, they can kill with their brains, they would kill with their brains by just looking at you. It's what they do. So, I have heard of a case like this, and I happen to know the killer who did it. 
So let's let's finish the thought with this cat, Keith Hunter Jefferson. So you're right. A, a woman by the name of Laverne uh, Pavlovic or Pavlovic or something like that. I just can't pronounce it. She confesses to the murder of Tanya Bennett. And she does so and she gets basically put in jail. And her, her boyfriend's put in jail as well for this murder because she confessed to it. Of course, the happy face killer hears about this and it takes him off. So he writes this huge freaking detailed account about that he's responsible for. He actually gives loca- the location of the purse. And of course, law enforcement find the purse. They realize that this woman, Laverne, had confessed what she had done. And subsequently after that, they release her. But on that same thought, there's a guy here on death row at San Quentin that's something very similar to this. And you're not going to believe the reason why he did it. His name is Sherman Time. And he is known as one of the speed freak killers, which is a horrible name that he gave himself because this guy loves attention. So it turns out that this guy, uh, Shermanton, had a crime partner. And they were out killing women and, and doing all these things and burying them. And they were finally caught. Some years after his crime partner died, this guy, Shermanton, is really upset that all these other serial killers are getting all this attention. Like I mentioned, Richard Ramirez, you know, all these serial killers get hundreds of letters from fans and, and women that want to be around them. This guy, Sherman Tom's pissed off because they don't write him. No one knows about him. So what does he do? He contacts an FBI person, a, a couple of police officers. He writes a map of where other body And he works on some financial deal. So they will acknowledged that he was the one that killed these people and he sends these people. I mean, it was on the news and everything where they went looking for the bodies and they found bones and all this stuff. And what he was hoping for was that the media would get a hold of this and really push his name in the limelight. So he'd get attention and girls would write him. So think about that. So you ask the question, there's the answer. The speed freak killer, uh, Sherman Time, who was a freaking moron, did that. Man. There are so many other ways to to uh, attract women. You know, just one of the benefits of, uh, I don't know, working out or attaining a, a prestigious job or, frankly, just lying that you have one. Uh, you know, you don't have to go to jail. So the happy well, he face... he was already in jail. Remember, he was in prison already, but he, he didn't feel he was getting enough attention and no one really knew who he was. That's why brought this up so he'd become the center of media attention oh so he just wanted a cool name uh speed freak killer that's not very good happy face killer i gotta be honest is really good um but did he call himself that or was it just because he put the smiley face um on his he drew it on the thing yeah, correct. So what happened there was, you're right, he wrote a number of letters to the Orkin. Well, I don't even know how to pronounce the freaking name. You guys can tell, when it comes to names, I'm horrible. But it's Oregon, so Oregonian. <laughs> it's the newspaper. The Oregonian. Say, the Oregonian. There you go, Oregonian. Once I hear it, I can say it, but yeah. So the Oregonian, which is a horrible name for freaking paper, <laughs> he writes them, he gives all these real details about killing other people and that um, 
you know, the, the Bennett case. But in all his letters, he always puts little happy faces. So a guy by the name of Phil Stan Sanford, Stanford, he dubbed him the happy face killer, and it stuck. You know, that's a pretty good name, though, right? It is. It is. Uh, and that guy was smart. That guy knew how to sell newspapers. He did do that, but look, I want the audience not to mistake this guy. Jefferson is the happy face killer. There is another killer who is known as the smiley face killer. That's a different tack, and they haven't caught him. There are dozens of murders throughout the country of this person, and most of the victims, I believe, are male. And he always leaves a happy face or smiley face next to the victims. Which one came first, do you know? I believe the happy face killer came first. Jefferson's first. He's been killing since the 80s. Although his first murder is recorded in 1990. And he has, on a number of occasions, spoken and said that he's guilty of killing. He's confessed over 185 murders. Okay, so at this point in the story, he has committed one murder that we know of and he's upset that someone else took the blame for it and so he's he's taunting the authorities and then contacting journalists and all this how many people do you think he's killed at this point i'd say well at this point i think he's probably guilty of killing anywhere between 30 and 45 women wow. um, and, and we see and we see kind of his his trajectory so so let me go on this so a Jane Doe on August 30, 1992 in Blythe, California uh, her name is Claudia turns up and it's, it's a tribute to him and then in September which is the next month he is a tribute to killing Cynthia Lynn Rose September 20 uh, September the in 1992 she was a sex worker and then within you know Less than a year, he's taking credit for Laura Ann Pentland of Salem, Oregon. And he says that, of course, once he confesses to it, that she tried to raise the fee for the sex that they were having, so he strangled her. And, you know, right away, uh, another woman, Nella, in California, June 1993, she, she turns out to be Patricia Stipple, which we find out later in 2018, because of DNA, her name is Patricia Stipple. And he just continues, September 1994, uh, a woman named Sudan turns up credit for it, and he's, it's a tribute to him. And then in 1995, he slips up. But as I said, I don't believe he slipped up on purpose. I think he needed to put a face to who this the happy face killer was. And he's arrested for the murder of Julie Winningham. And um, they actually question him for the murder, and he is let go. But according to him, when he feels that there's pressure on him, that they might be coming to arrest him, he tries to kill himself twice. And then he turns himself in. Well, let me just say this. He is a very prolific killer. He knows how to kill. If he was going to kill himself, he would have done it. This is, again, him making excuses. So when he is arrested, he takes credit for it, he can almost lessen the charges against it by saying, well, look, I tried to kill myself, I was remorseful, and all those other stuff that guys do when they kill somebody. Yeah, it's like he does what he wants to do, and then he constructs, like, 
an apologetic narrative about it. All, all the victims that he's described, like you said, he has some, I mean, I guess it sounds like an excuse to him. It's not really an excuse, but it's always like they slighted him some way. And, you know, he's, he's essentially the victim in his own narrative. Yeah, and even though media and stuff are talking bad about him, he's still relevant because even today, we're doing a podcast on him. And as you mentioned prior to the show, during our production uh, of this show, he has a daughter named Melissa Moore. And what does she do in 2008 that's so shocking is that she begins to talk about her father. Yeah, she has a podcast called, it's called Happy Face Presents, and she kind of retraces her upbringing and also explores uh, other true crime incidents kind of through the scope of having uh, grown up with her father as a serial killer. I don't really understand the theme of it too much, but uh, she's obviously pretty well adjusted, I think, so that's good, but... Yeah, I mean, she's... Well, she, but I was just going to say that she has a, a different perspective I think we all should take a look at because she grew up with this man. Obviously, it was prior to him. It was later on in his life when he became a father rather than being a little, a little boy trying to kill. But, you know, she started this off by, I guess, trying to work through some of her issues that, I mean, how does it feel to one day be told, by the way, your father is the happy face killer? I, I, I'm sure she knew nothing about it. She had no idea what was going on. And she is now retracing and talking about this is a unique perspective when your father's a serial killer. So I can appreciate that. But I think she was working through some of the issues that which are to really deal with and grapple with that psychological kick in the teeth when you realize who your father really is. And uh, she does so by first appearing on shows like Dr. Phil, Oprah Winfrey, 2020, uh, Crime Watch Daily. And then she publishes a book, which I'll talk about. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Next. Uh, yeah, so her book, you're familiar with the book. What, what's going on with that? Yeah, she published the book. It's called Shattered Silence. And I think it goes to exactly that, that she's, you know, she's talking about dealing with this trauma that to learn that your father's a serial killer. And I, I think this is what she was doing. She was working through this. Of course, as you mentioned, she did a podcast later on called Happy Face Podcast, which is, I believe it's about a dozen or, or more episodes. And then in June of 2021, she did another, she's doing another podcast called Life After Happy Face, where she talks about true crime. And, and she's become a pretty well-known person. person I've seen her on uh, Dr. Oz. She comes out, I think she actually does a segment on Thursdays on Dr. Oz. I don't particularly watch it. I mean, I, I respect her perspective. It's a unique perspective that I couldn't even imagine what she went through as a child. And as an adult woman where she's dealing with, you know, my dad's murdered dozens of women for the sheer pleasure of it. Um, so she's really probably made a career of, of really dealing with this and talking about 
what it means to be a child of a serial killer. Yeah, something that stuck with me, I listened to a few episodes of her podcast, and she talks about when their mom left Keith, that they went to Spokane, and she refers to it as the big city, and like she had never seen like office buildings and stuff. And if you've been to Spokane, it is a small shithole. It made me realize like how remote they were living and how, I guess, off the grid he was and how that could you know be a a plus if you're trying to get away with murder yeah it's the perfect hunting ground for a predator like you said very backwoodsy not very big or she thinks you know spokane is a great huge city we know it's not so you know i can i can almost sympathize with what she goes to i can i have not gone through that so i can imagine so i'm, I'm sure that she's um successful because of her perspective and you know, hey, look, I, I would hate to have to um, deal with that type of psychological trauma dealing with, you know, am I a killer as well? Is this gene jump from my father to me? Is this something that I'm going to be dealing with the rest of life? You know, those are legitimate questions. I'm sure she's saying, <laughs> you know, the killer gene, I'm sure that applies to serial killers probably doesn't go to women. And, and if it did, obviously she's well-adjusted and she has a a good career and obviously she's a well-adjusted person yeah i mean i that's probably the first thing people ask her but you know when you get older you don't you ever notice like you're turning into your father i mean we're guys but you know like just I, like i like my back hurt and i said it in a certain way that i was like oh my god i just i can't help it you know not not that i don't admire my dad but it's like yeah, I don't, I don't want to be like him. Yeah, no, believe me when I tell you, I know that, you know, when I was younger, if you saw you look like your mom, and, and I did. But now as I'm getting older, you know, my hair is getting, you know, the color of iron. And, and you know, I have these eyes. And my therapist says, hey, you look just like your dad. <laughs> You're right. You know, we all, we, we turn into our parents, you know. <laughs> you know, they say that about when, when, when you marry and you have children, they say, oh, man, your, your kids will say, God, you're just like our grandmother. I, I think we do kind of turn into our parents in a way. Hopefully the case for Melissa, that doesn't happen. And uh, she goes on to greater and better things. But, yeah, the Happy Face Killer was a character. He is a character. He's still in prison, I believe. He's doing, a, I think, a number of life sentences consecutive, so he's never going to get out. But, look, he's, he's enjoying the limelight as most of these serial killers do. I mean, they're, you can't stop these guys from reliving what they did because you can't stop them from receiving newspapers about what their actions were. You can get anybody to print something and send it to you. So they're reliving that. They're getting their, their trophies, whatever they may be, they can get them in prison. Newspaper articles, you can get pictures of, of anybody you want as long as they're not nude. So um, this guy continues to relive his murders I'm sure that every time he hears that his daughter or someone's talking about his case in the podcast, which I'm sure probably 90% of true crime podcasts dealing with with serial killers will talk about him because he's one of the top 50 that you would consider serial killers. So he's going to relive this for decades. Yeah. And the thing to me that that jumps out to me, which I've, I've thought about, on other serial killers that we've done, but if this guy didn't have 
a catchy nickname, we would have no idea who he is. And that just makes me think like, God damn, like there's a lot of these guys out there, you know? No, absolutely. You know, I can't, I can't emphasize this more or even more intensely when I do. And I do sound intense sometimes, so I apologize for that. But serial killers have evolved. The, the model you see here in, in Jefferson and all these other serial killers, that model is pretty much disappearing. There's a new guy out there. He is probably a truck driver or the guy you least expect to come to your home. And when he, when he comes for you, he takes you and you don't appear again. He's not going to put a happy face next to your, your body so they find it and they find evidence that he could not possibly know that's there. And since he knows this, he leaves the body where you're never going to find it. He buries it deep. He, he weighs it down. He puts it next to a pylon and drives it deep into the ocean. I don't know. But it's not difficult to get rid of a body. And, you know, I close every show with be safe, be aware of your surroundings, your life can depend on it. That's not a catchy phrase, although it may sound like one. It's the absolute truth. You have to be aware of your surroundings. These, these predators are out there, and they're hunting. They may not be hunting you today, but they could be tomorrow. Right now, as I'm, we're talking on this podcast and we're doing this show, there is a serial killer out there. There's probably between 40 and 60 in the United States, and they are hunting they're out there. You have to be aware of your surroundings. Yeah, and these truckers are communicating still on the CB radios, and that's not like a cell phone. It doesn't ping unless someone's recording the endless, you know, pointless chatter on these things. You know, there's there's no record of any of that. That's another thing that jumped out to me. Um, so to end this, Bill, can we go back a little bit, and can you tell us how he finally got apprehended? Well, yeah, I, I did touch on it a little bit. In 1995, he is arrested for the murder of Julie Willingham. And um, at first they question him for the murder, he's released. But as time goes on, he believes he's going to get arrested. And his response to that is by trying to kill himself. And when that he is not successful at, which I don't understand how you're not, you're not successful at killing yourself. It's not that difficult. If you really want to do it in your series, you, you know, you end it by slicing your, rip, or your wrist upward. But anyway, it's a different story. I don't want to encourage anybody doing that because that would not be right. But he tries to kill himself. He's not successful. And then he turns himself in and he confesses. Yeah, so he was just over it, I guess, and just ready to go to jail. And uh, I think he's probably enjoying himself, unfortunately. Now, yeah, as I mentioned, I think that he was just ready to put a face to the happy face killer. And that's what it comes down to at the very end. When you've done everything you want to do, and you believe you can live from the memories, from the tokens, the trophies you have, and the last thing, the last act of control, the act, last act of gratification is to reveal the face behind the happy face. And that's what it is. And uh, we're going to continue this discussion on a different subject on patreon so if you want to switch over you know you can give a dollar a month which is not much it's more symbolic than anything at this point um and bill you're going to tell a story uh can you tease it real quick i feel like it involves someone's face getting split open 
watching it. Well, yeah, I mean, um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a situation here on the yard at San Quentin Prison that I was involved with, that I was there with, and yeah, it involves bloodshed and it involves, uh, you know, a stake. I thought he was probably a vampire killer. I think he'd been watching too many Van Helsing movies. But yeah, we're going to talk about that. And it's, it's, you're only going to hear it here because it only happens here on Death Row. And I'm the only one that the story because I'm the one directly involved in it. So check it out. Go ahead and check that out. Until then, I've been yeah. Matt Ralston. And I'm Lynn Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life can be different.